Alrighty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new special edition of Shelf Impactors podcast. Mark is not here, but I have a new, shiny, amazing American co-host, um, Alex Vera, who's also a colleague of mine. Um, he is also the strategic VP at SGK, where we work. Alex, I'm going to say hello and let you introduce yourself, which is always a really awkward thing to do, but say hello anyway. The most awkward, especially after being introduced as a shiny new American. I'm not even, <laughs> not even sure what that means, but we'll go with it. Um, hey, everybody. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, as Lisa mentioned, I'm uh, Vice President of uh, Creative and Strategy here at SGK. Really excited to be joining the podcast today. Um, I come from a uh, creative and retail mixed bag background, so a um, bit of a background in, in consumer behavior and consumer experience, um, and really looking forward to digging into our conversation today around the beverage space. And it's a perfect time of year to do it. So just as everyone's breaking up for holidays, we're going to raise a glass or a non-boozy glass and talk a little bit about booze trends, about beverages trends, what we're excited about and what we've seen, because obviously the world of the pandemic kind of changed everything. So for those that are listening, today's topic is the new normal indulgence, beverages, booze, something that creative industries are very aware of. And we love to work on booze um, branding, definitely. But the fact that it's changing is a really exciting opportunity for us. So shall we start at sober and then work our way through some of the trends? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think we should always start sober and end, if anything, um, on a percentage. Yeah, so sober is usually a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so look, we're, we're here to talk about booze and beverages, but look, the um, the last few years, there's been a huge rise in non-drinking and, and someone who, until recently, I've probably spent about four or five years of not drinking, which is strange for a creative. Um, so let's talk about this trend towards sobriety. Why are people not drinking? It's a good question. I think, you know, there, there are a few things that the past several years have taught us, right? It's, it's been a time of introspection. Uh, both, I think, from a personal level and from a brand perspective as well. Uh, I think this push to uh, apply greater meaning to our decision-making, right? Whether it's uh, how a brand shows itself or how consumers make decisions or how we make decisions as individuals has all fed into this. But, you know, this idea of, of more holistic, feeling good, um, you know, as, as one of our favorite American athletes says, you know, uh, look good, feel good, feel good, play good, right? Um, I think there's something to be said for that. I also think that, um, you know, the, the alcohol industry in particular has been, has been taking more of an active stance in health, which I think I find fascinating um, and, and obviously a really positive step. You know, when you look at even so, sort of the alcoholic beverage trends with, um, you know, with, with lighter, less calorie products, with, with newer, more health-based products, all of it is leading towards a level of indulgence that doesn't mean having to feel bad the next day um, or being able to do the other things that make you feel great, right? So, you know, you can, you can enjoy a non-alcoholic beverage, whether it's a mocktail or a non-alcoholic brewed beverage and still go for that hike in the morning. You can still go for that run in the morning. Um, but it's still, but it does feel like you're having fun with your friends, right? The social aspect isn't lost, uh, which I find to be one of the most important keys. And do you think, because at the start of COVID, obviously we were all locked down. And do you think that also opened the doors to, there was actually less pressure to go out and drink. So drinking is always linked to socializing, to getting together or to escape certain situations. So I think we probably saw two trends. One where there was a rise of people trying to escape what was going on. So perhaps on that aspect, people there was, there was also trends that grew in booze where there was more alcoholic percentage for different reasons, but also that, that pressure to socialize um, and 
I think also the innovation around what you can drink now, like non-alcoholic beverages used to taste disgusting. <laughs> and so I think there's, there's innovation, but did the fact that we're all locked at home, do you feel like that drove the, the pressure for people to go, actually, I want to look after my health rather than just go out, socialize and get drunk every night? Yeah, I think, I think you're right in that it did drive two directions, right? I certainly am more friends with my favorite whiskey bottles than I used to be before the pandemic. Um, but, but I do think that what it really did is cause people to take stock, right? What are the things that are important to me? Um, you know, we are socially driven creatures. We are market driven creatures. Um, it's why we're here talking about the shelf and talking about human behavior, right? Because they're interlinked in some way. Um, and so, you know, I think the opportunity, uh, call it a silver lining, if you will, of, of introspection, of taking a look at what's important in people's lives, um, it has to have played a contributing factor in some of the trends that we're seeing. Um, one of the things that I find really fascinating too, you know, when you, when you think about how this impacts the marketplace is that there's this really wonderful push pull happening between products, brands, and consumers, right? Consumers and consumer behavior informs innovation, which informs product, which then informs how brands show up. Um, and so, you know, as we look towards, the rise of things like Peloton and Mirror and brands that have built themselves on a level of um, improvement through introspection, right? Work out at home, feel good about working out at home. Um, all of these trends do lead us to a place, right? Where non-alcoholic beverages and, and the idea of alcohol and indulgence being separated, right? I think is, is definitely something to consider. And I think we'll probably see more in terms of the collaboration opportunities going forward with brands like Peloton. How do you how do you do drinking? And and also like it used to be, it never used to be cool to say I don't really drink or I'm the non-drinker. You were the non-cool kid in the room, and I think that's changed. It's more about empowering how you feel, like you said, the health, the wellness, the immunity, and actually feeling good. To go, I'm not. I'm, I'll just take the non-alcoholic option or the low-alcoholic option. So I think there's also it's a bit like we did with vegetarian and veganism and the flexitarian route. We're kind of doing that with booze. It's not about going. You need to be teetotal, but there are opportunities there now to go. Actually, I'm not drinking every night of the week, or actually, I'm reducing the amount, and that's a good thing. And it being a positive rather than a negative. It probably used to be like, oh, really? The perception shift has massively changed because we know how the effect on us on our health. A hundred percent. And I also think that the food industry, um, the, the, the post pandemic or, or mid pandemic, whatever we want to call it, uh, in, in today's news cycle, um, you know, socialization industry bar, um, you know, restaurant sporting venue, um, have really leaned into this idea of mocktail, non-alcoholic option, um, you know, especially here in the Pacific Northwest where I, where I've got my roots right now, where we're all, you know, Birkenstock wearing vegan, you know, pot smokers. Um, <laughs> that's a different uh, podcast. <laughs> that's, a totally, that's a different podcast for a different day. Um, but to see mixologists really focusing on the flavor behind something that's non-alcoholic, um, leveraging, you know, the, the same flavor profiles that you might've seen in, in your favorite drink, but without the alcohol, uh, pairing non-alcoholic options with foods. I think about, you know, a chef here from the Pacific Northwest that, that made some waves a few years back with drinking vinegars, right. That have 
a little bit of the tartness. They have a little bit of the flavor profile. They pair well with the food. They just don't have the booze and that's okay. Um, so, you know, I, I think you're exactly right to say that the, the separation or the stigma between not being the drinker and not having fun is going yeah. away. Yeah. Right? And, and not missing out on, like you say, that flavor profile. What's really exciting is how people are exploring and expanding the flavors, even with low percentage and RTDs. Like it's completely changing the game at the moment. There's a couple of brands. And actually, when I did a bit of research, most of them come from the States. So there's so much going on in the mixology market. Curious Elixirs was one of the ones that I looked at. There's mm-hmm. just even just the naming of things. Look, we're brand animals, right? We go, what do you want to order at the bar? It actually matters. You don't want a J2O or you don't want an orange juice or anything like that you want to ask for something cool and they're the moments that you kind of I want the bottle on the shelf that looks cool I buy Mr. Black Spirits because of the label and then the flavor mm-hmm. backs it up so there's so many different messages that we talk about in brand world that come to the the foray to go actually I want to ask for a curious elixir I don't want an orange juice so even those moments at the start to go I'm excited about the sober curious market for millennials and Gen Z is massive and there's so much opportunity for big beverage companies to kind of tap into that and expand on their flavors it's a really exciting time yeah i'm, I'm glad you you tapped into that 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 brand world and the consumer perception right because so much of it is you walk into the restaurant and, and the cool stuff is up on the shelf right yeah. from the time we were kids so it was like man that's where like the cool kids hang out right yeah um and there is something to be said for how you say the words how you deliver the experience, how, how, what glass it comes in, right? Like everybody knows, you know, a soda and a glass looks like a soda and a glass, but if something comes in a, in a martini glass, it's got a beautiful color and it's, it's decorated just right. And then it's got ingredients that you're then curious about, right? It still has a, a level of bitters or it has a level of elixir. Like you mentioned, I think all of those things contribute to the overall story. And that in and of itself is a huge lesson for brands, right? I think there are some missed opportunities when you brand a low alcoholic or a non-alcoholic product as just like the alcoholic product, right? Right. It's almost, it's almost like tofurkey in the vegetarian world, right? Like as a, as a, as an omnivore, I've always kind of looked at that sideways and said, well, you've made the decision to become vegetarian. Why are you pretending to eat turkey? Yeah. And we're seeing Um, that, we're seeing that shift now. I think when you, when we kind of go on a tangent away to food, we're seeing that now it used to be that vegan food looked like, you know, vegan food, or it looked like it was trying to, there was no flavor cues in there. It wasn't cool to be that, but now it's almost mm -hmm. cool to be in that market, to be the, I'm proud to be who I am. And that's the, you know, and, and, and that's people, right? The last two years have taught us to be proud of who we are and stand up Mm -hmm. for what we believe in. And if you're going to do a a non-alcoholic drink, stand up for that. Don't shout about it necessarily, or don't make it sound boring and bland. Be excited about what you're bringing to the table. And and like you say, like, even though we work in brand world, we're suckers for it to go, I, I want this sexy label i want the kraken because of the the design and the branding and the glass that you serve and it's all about the experience and that's what the last two years of taught as we buy into experiences that's what we want that's exactly right I, you hit on a you hit on a couple of great topics there actually and i think one of the you know going back to sort of your your millennial and gen z curiosity one of the things that that has really been brought to the front over the past couple of years is this level of like micro micro curating right? Micro personalization, doing things a little bit different than we did it before, just a little bit differently than mom and dad might've done it. Right. Um, and personalizing that experience and having it feel like it's uniquely theirs. Um, 
I think is a, is a huge piece. And so when you think about, you know, tagging non-alcoholic brands or non-alcoholic products within a brand portfolio as connected to the macro, I think you miss a massive window of opportunity when you have such an opportunity to connect at that micro scale, right? Sometimes I think one of my, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, the founders of Airbnb, which is sometimes to do things at scale, you've got to do things that don't, right? You got to start by doing things that don't scale so that you can click into a new lane, find a new opportunity that then delivers massive scale. Uh, and so, you know, when you look at, at non-alcoholic or low alcoholic beverage branding, I think there's massive opportunity. There's a bit of a frontier there for brands to really explore that really can start connecting with consumer profiles that are looking for personalization. They're looking for customization in what they do every single day. I was thinking about that the other day and how it might go almost like back to the lab. So you've got people who necessarily don't want to drink or that. Like, what if you can customize the amount of alcohol or the amount of um, you know, booze that goes into the drink. What if you can curate your own drinks? It becomes like that science lab test. And how can some of the big players, some of the big booze brands break into that market to go, you don't have to buy all into us. You, you choose your journey. And that's a great opportunity for all of those brands to kind of fuse the two worlds together. It's not about being sober or drinker. There's a fusion of the two together that you make your choices and, and you fuse those two worlds. That's the really nice opportunity, I think. And then that fusion is happening in other categories, right? Like I, when I look at, at, you know, mainly, you know, alcohol brands moving into the seltzer space, like who would have predicted that? <laughs> yeah, I've got very right? high on my list of booze trends for us to talk about as we go through them. Hard seltzers are huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're huge in mm -hmm. Australia because, you know, the portable format, they're ready to drink for anyone who's listening and goes, what's a hard seltzer? It's that fusion of it's ready to drink. It's portable. Why do we want it? We want convenience, but we also want a light, refreshing drink. Um, and, and, you know, how do kombuchas move into that? You know, kombuchas, hard iced tea, they're the ones that are really going to um, break into this space. Yeah, you've got malted beverages, right? So in the old days, your Smirnoff ices, your, you know, your your cocktails in a can type of situation. Um, the hard set seltzer world is a really interesting one, too, because I also think it taps into a brand new consumer set, right? I, I don't want to drink beer because it makes me feel bloated. I don't want to be seen as drinking hard alcohol in the middle of the day at my kid's soccer game, but I do want something that's like fresh and, and cold and that I can have it at, at a moment's notice. And then maybe just has a touch of that, you know, of that alcohol that, that you get from other drinks. Um, it's a really, really interesting space that the brands have found themselves in. Um, and to me, there's a, there's kind of a weird, like unspoken health angle to that as well, where it's like, it's just seltzer, right? Like it's fine. It's low calorie. It's got fruit flavors. They're talking about like natural flavors, like leaning into the whole like LaCroix, LaCroix thing. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm suckered like, in. This is this is the trend <laughs> to me as just going keto and the health person and all this kind of thing. I'm suckered in by those beautiful branding. There's some really exciting brands out there. Um, there was one yeah. that was looking at the other day called June Shine. I think it's an American brand, mm -hmm. but it is yeah. a hard kombucha. So it's, ha mm -hmm. you know, we all know now, years ago, we probably didn't know the benefits of kombucha. Now we know those benefits. How do we fuse them into this new world of booze? So I'm suckered in yeah. by this trend. I admit it. <laughs> Even though yeah, I know all we, of the kind of thing, we uh, we drink our fresh air June Shine at home. It's a it's a really really cool brand, and the whole uh, kombucha piece. I mean, that's a, that's a whole other avenue of you know probiotic, good for you, natural. <laughs> 
little alcohol generation due to the fermentation process. Um, fantastic brand opportunity because now you're crossing over into, you know, you're going from the shelf at your at your normal grocer to your shelf at your Whole Foods uh, or the the Whole Foods equivalent in Australia, um, and tapping into a market that's much more aware of what they're putting in their body. Um, and to turn the coin over, right, of like people choosing to not drink alcohol, there's also people choosing to drink alcohol with a greater level of awareness, right? I'm going to choose an alcoholic beverage. It's going to be better for my body. I'm going to maybe stay away from high sugar beverages and go to a low sugar or a probiotic beverage that I can enjoy with my friends um, and still have the benefits of, you know, the socialization, the, the light touch of the alcohol, but still something that's good for you. And I think that also as well draws into the idea that, and, and I've seen it definitely when I've been overseas where they mix it in an actual bar. I've not seen it so much on the shelf just yet, but where adaptogens are starting to be used as well. So we're looking at Chinese and Ayurvedic medicines fused in mm. to alcoholic beverages. And it's almost, if you've got ashwagandha in it, is that going to make you feel better the next morning? So I think there's a really interesting, and there'll probably be some science done around this to go, actually, if you drink this, you won't have a hangover. So all of these things that people are exploring opportunity-wise, I think we're going to mm. see a lot more of that. It's almost like I can drink, but I won't have the effects the next day. It's the, this collision of like what used to be it's inevitable, <laughs> it's going to happen. We can reverse that moment. So I'm kind right. of excited to see where that world opens up. And, and see this is this is where living in the future is such a benefit right like I, you, it guys should are, be. you guys are a day ahead <laughs> you're way outside of the western medicine sphere you're out there in the future you're doing your thing i love it so much there are so but many I, reishi mushrooms around that's <laughs> oh man no i think it's fantastic i think you know i think the world of beverage in general um, and the world of awareness in terms of what we put in our bodies, in terms of the, the, what's acceptable to eat and drink, um, is evolving super rapidly. And I think it, it just generates such great market opportunity for brands. It doesn't have to be, you know, heavy beer or light beer. There are so many effervescent, brewed, alcoholic, non-alcoholic, pairs well with food, goes great at a barbecue type options. And it, I just can't help but think about like my parents' palate, like what was acceptable to put on the table for them versus what's acceptable to put on the table for maybe our kids' generation, right? Like the, you know, a, a, a true, like a gen alpha um, and what they're going to be experiencing. Those tables are going to look fundamentally different. And how do you feel it playing out? Because obviously, obviously I'm in the future, you'd think, um, but how is that different? Because look, say, look, we've got holiday seasons coming up in America where you are. You're obviously in Portland to anyone who's listening, who we didn't say that to at the beginning. You're in Portland. I'm in Sydney. Normally we have a Brit in the room, but you know, that's kind of a different situation today. <laughs> so how is that at the Christmas table? How does that look? You've got different generations. How does that play out? Cause look, I know even though we've got all of this innovation and we're, we're in a world of design of opportunity of brand where we're already aware of these things going on and perhaps in our circles that we mix with, we're, we're always looking for new innovation, but there are people definitely here that will always take a tinny down the beach. They will always just want beer. Our festive all hands, even though we're in a creative business was very much about the wine and the beer on the table. Not everyone's seeing these new innovations. How, how, how is it there? That's, that's a really interesting question. I actually think that it is a generational conversation, right? Decision makers, especially in today's marketplace, 
are very defined by their brackets. And it, I wish it wasn't the case, but, you know, you know, I, I go to, I go to my parents' house. Uh, I'm a first generation Cuban American. My parents were born and, and raised out of the country. Uh, so, so classic American immigrant family. Right. And the things that they put on their table are just fundamentally different than what, what I see, you know, high schoolers and college age kids being interested in. And I do think it falls on the bridge generations on the Gen Xers, the millennials, to to ease those transitions, just as it will fall on, you know, Gen Zers and Alphas to bridge to to their kids' generation when, you know, when when I'm an old guy stuck in my ways with my hard kombucha and I don't understand why these kids <laughs> are drinking whatever it is they're drinking, right? Um, we all age out generationally at some point in terms of the market, right? Um, and that's what this all points back to at the end of the day. The market will decide the market rewards brands and rewards products with their dollars when they're in line with what the consumer sets asking for. Um, you know, I, I know you like to say this a lot, but like, you know, brand and marketing are the invites. They're the, they're the calling cards. They're the invitation to the conversation. Um, at the end of the day, all of those, all of those connection points between brand and consumer have to work together to tell an authentic, memorable story, right? Something that's true to the brand's meaning, true to the brand's core, so that somebody who is open to new, right, who's in maybe a bridge generation for the product category can say, you know what, I'm going to pick that up. I know my parents are coming over. I know I've got, you know, my kids and their friends coming over. I'm going to go ahead and bring something to the table that's a little bit different and see how that goes for them. Um, they're just fundamentally different choices being made. And I think the pandemic has accelerated all of that, for sure. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, I think, you know, the fact that we've had, how long have, you know, in the course of human history, how long has it been since we've been, since any generation has had this much access to communication and technology and this little to do with their time, right? It's generated all kinds of unexpected surprises, some for the better, some for the worse, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not going to get into American politics on this one, but that's yet another podcast. Um, but I do think it's generated that level of awareness, like that, that we that we that we started on. And how do you feel this plays out for brands? Because one of the things that I think at the moment, everyone's talking about the challenger brands, and even some of the big brands that we know are releasing their own craft beverages and things. And I think it's a really exciting space because we talk about people buying into brands and we all do buy into brands. But when there's so many small pop-up innovative, like probably five or 10 years ago, to be a challenger brand was like, wow, you had to be super bold and super brave. Now there's so very many people doing it. I think it's more about how you just spoke really well then and articulated how they need to tell us stories, stories that we can buy into. But I think where the opportunity future focused is, is they need to help us make our stories. And we always use Nike as the example. We always use Apple. They don't, yes, they tell us their story, but they actually empower ours. And so those small players, those challenger brands, the curious elixirs, the small craft beverages, how do they make our moments? Do they make the moment that you rock up to the family party and go, actually, I've bought these? And everyone goes, what the hell is that? They're the moments, but you'll remember that moment. You were the one, you were different, you were weird, and you stood up for something. So how, yeah. how do these brands, or is it an opportunity for the big players to own who they are or do they kind of need to sit silently? Cause we do buy into brands. How is that shifting? 
that's another <laughs> great question. Jeez, Lisa, you're good at this. Um, <laughs> Practiced. <laughs> <laughs> not your first rodeo. Um, so I think there are multiple moving parts in that in that part of our ecosystem, right? I think first and foremost, the idea of a disruptor or a challenger brand having to be new is quickly wearing itself out, right? Um, I think the idea that folks like Gary V are bringing to the table of putting yourself out of business before somebody else does um, is driving a lot of innovation from very well-established brands. And I don't think, um, you know, being new and different necessarily equals challenge or disruption anymore, right? So I do think you have that at play. I also think you have two very different lanes that consumers are equally attracted to, right? One is nostalgia, right? You look at, you know, here in the States, we've got all kinds of pop-up experiences for, for the TV show Friends, for, you know, Stranger Things referencing what life was like in the 80s and the experiences that that creates. There's a nostalgia, a vintage vibe that people are, are attracted to. And I think, you know, for, for brands that have deep roots, there's a lot of room to play in that space, right? If you're, if you're Levi's to go out of the, the, the beverage and food space for a second, why in the world would you not lean into that vintage characteristic for your brand, right? At the same time, I think the fact that we are truly now a global economy, the fact that we still qualify economies by nations blows my mind because uh, consumers certainly don't behave or think that way. Um, you know, the fact that we truly are a global economy means that there's a lot of room for new brands. There's a lot of room for innovation. There's a lot of room to find a consumer that's going to, that's going to meet you where you are. Um, I think the most important thing in on either side of that spectrum is, is to find a truth that you can grab and that means something to your brand and that means something to your consumer and find that commonality. Um, that's where real connection takes shape. And that's what we should all be striving for, right? Community and connection. And I think that yep. you make a really interesting point there. And I know we recently did the webinar about nostalgia and nostalgic brands, but I think to your point of there's also that I want the whiskey that my granddad had, or there's, there's those moments that brands that are already established that can t- kind of tap into that. And it's how it's the emotive side, right. That we've probably need to reestablish and the lack of connection and how differently we've connected with technology over the past two years is what will drive new connections. And I, I think it's exciting the fact that it's forced us to, I mean, look, two years ago, I mean, I wasn't here, but we would never have had this conversation necessarily because we would never have met. Our agency would have lived in its little bubble, even though we're a global agency, but it's opened up these embrace local, but take that global. And I think that's mm. the exciting thing. We'll talk across our world about what beverages we're sharing and that becomes a new way to drive connection. So I think it's a really great opportunity to drive community and connection globally. Yeah. I also think that the lines are crossing in such interesting ways. Um, you know, old doesn't necessarily mean scale, right? There are some really beautiful, low volume, highly localized brands that now have access to this much bigger market that are producing at a fraction of the scale as brands that have just come up in the past decade or two, right? You know, you, you mentioned, you know, drinking the whiskey that your father drank or that your grandfather drank, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a bourbon guy and in the States here, there are bourbon brands that go back to the 
1700s, which for the United States is ancient, by the way, for those <laughs> listening that aren't in the U.S., that's like, you know, Stonehenge days for the for the American market. Um, but they only have produced in really, really small batches. Right. And it's special and it's got roots and it, you can feel it in the brand and you can see it in the packaging. Um, you know, I'm thinking about brands like Hirsch um, that that are delivering really wonderful product. Uh, and then you've got brand new to the scene, you know, newcomers that you would have qualified as a disruptor or qualified as a challenger brand outpacing those guys in terms of production. So volume and legacy don't necessarily go hand in hand anymore. Right. Um, which I find fascinating. And I think that's something else to consider when you're thinking about the brand landscape, which is, you know, when you're, when you're looking at a product and thinking about how it delivers to the shelf, you don't have to play by the old rules. You can, you can redefine rules in today's marketplace really easily as long as what you're doing is honest, it's yeah. consistent, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and you're able to stand behind that decision. Um, I think there's room for success across the entire landscape. Yeah, the authenticity piece is obviously going to be huge going forward, authenticity and transparency. Um, and should we talk a little bit about the even the direct-to-consumer market? So a lot of brands and how they're – it's not on shelf anymore. I mean, it's not always in bars anymore. So this is other kind of side of it as to – how does it fit into people's lives if it's delivered to your doorstep? That really is when you need to embrace as a brand, you need to embrace that emotive connection somewhere. And the next podcast or another podcast we may come to is the metaverse. It's that kind of like, what is this world we're creating that isn't physical world? I think the future of, of probably throughout the next few years is there's going to be that tech paradox. So there's going to be so much technology, so many new worlds that brands can live in and create their own, which is super exciting. But there's also going to be those people that go, I don't want the tech Technology, I want to go back to creating real human moments without it. Mm-hmm. So the direct-to-consumer market and how brands react in both of those spaces is going to be really interesting to see. Hopefully, we'll get the chance to impact some of that and, and watch it play out. So what, what we would have thought of as the shelf now happens where the consumer wants it to happen not where the brand tells the consumer it's going to happen. Uh, and that's a really important thing for, for creatives, for marketers, for brands to, to get their heads wrapped around. Uh, because when you think about direct-to-consumer, direct-to-consumer in today's world, mid to post-pandemic, typically means digital. It means online. It means delivered through media, possibly through social, uh, overwhelmingly digital content. That's not what direct-to-consumer has always been, and it's not what it will always be. Direct-to-consumer is a brand bypassing channel, bypassing wholesale to reach its consumer in its own way, right? I grew up in the era of infomercials, right? Infomercials is the the original, you know, DTC or D2C, however, however you choose to say it kind of moment. But we've also worked with brands, and you mentioned brands like, like Nike that have a really strong direct-to-consumer physical presence. They're at events. They have direct-to-consumer retail that they've established. And so, you know, the idea of of delivering a product wholesale or delivering it direct-to-consumer really at one point is going to merge, whether it's through the metaverse or whether it's through consumers determining what those channels are. Um, I think... I think we've got to start thinking about the shelf as something totally different. Um, 
you know, to, to speak to the whole meta and digital and possibly, you know, sort of digital and virtual fatigue, there is a pendulum swing to that, right? I can remember, you know, living and studying in a day when I was like, everything's going to be done through virtual reality goggles. And then I was like, there's no way anyone will put these on. And now here we are back at it. Right. Like, um, and so, you know, I do think that, that there's a pendulum swing to how much information are we willing to give up? How much, how much are we willing to let technology into our lives? How much of that is useful? Right. I just so happen to be a big tech nerd. So like, you know, Alexa helps me run my house. I know a lot of people that are super freaked out by that. Um, and so, you know, I think staying on top of consumers and meeting them where they are is really the brand's challenge um, because we're increasingly giving way to the consumer in terms of their journey and their experience rather than guiding them along that getting along those tracks. And I think we spoke about this recently, didn't we, as well in the webinar about how actually it's about how you empower someone else's life to not dictate their lives. So we're, and, and also as a big tech nerd, where the exciting point is you empower me to make the decisions within this world that I'm creating. So I think it's more like if you mm -hmm. launch yourself into this virtual world, you dictate how that plays out, not someone tells you how that plays out. Right. Yeah, I think that's spot on. This is super exciting. We've covered quite a lot already. Yeah. We've already down to, we've done our 35 minutes. Um, is there anything you want to leave people? If you're a brand, big brand, small brand, in the world of alcohol, non-alcohol, what should we focus on first? If we're a player and we're looking at it, what is, I mean, innovation is such a big word. There's a few key words that are kind of playing through all of this. So there's innovation, there's sustainability, which we've not really touched on, but we probably should, but it feels like it, it ripples through every brand right now. And so I think every client that comes into our door, what do you know about sustainability? Well, it's been non-negotiable. It's been on the radar for a long time. So I think they're, yeah. but they're key bullet points that going forward, definitely into 22 and, and way beyond that will be, how do I, connect my brand to consumers? What do I need to look for? What are the pillars that I need to be thinking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you just, I think you just said the word that, that unlocks the door, which is connect, right? I think to me, connectivity is 100% essential in today's marketplace. So, you know, to be honest, this is a conversation that could go on on alcoholic beverage, non-alcoholic beverage, food, CPG, sportswear, technology, you know, when you're delivering a product to the marketplace, starting with the type of experience that you are intending to give the consumer and how the brand plays a role in that experience is the critical starting point to making sure that all of those decisions are connected, right? You've got to let that experience be the holy grail for all of the decisions downstream because otherwise what happens is channels take hold right and so if you have one expression in store through in-store marketing and wholesale and another expression on your website and a third expression in social and everyone's cheering about how many impressions they're generating if those impressions aren't connected the consumer will sniff it out right the consumer for any of these product categories in today's world is way too smart to, to think inside of a specific channel, they, they will seek out more experiences. And when they're not connected, they will exit as quickly as they entered. Uh, and so to me, you know, the key word is connect, connect, connect from the start. Um, the way that I like to think about that is through that sort of center out approach is, is by putting the consumer and the brand at the center of the conversation first, not just the consumer, not just the brand, 
but almost think about it as like a like a therapy session between the brand and the consumer, right? How do you bind those experiences to make those relationships more authentic and more connected? If you start there, your your chances of succeeding, I think, raise exponentially. And that's the bit that gets me super excited and I get into some trouble for it by going, you need to start with brand. Like brand has to come first. The consistency in those connections that you make are critical to how you go forward. Like you say, there's so many channels popping up. There's so much marketing around, just throw it out there. Just put constantly the content really needs the context and it really needs that consistency and it needs to put the consumer at the core. But that's why we're here, right? (laughs) That's right. It's why we exist. (laughs) Thank God we might have a job next year. (laughs) God willing. (laughs) So is there anything else? Look, summing up, I've really enjoyed our chit chat and our conversations and we could go on for hours and I've got thousands of notes still sitting around here, but I think we've covered quite a lot of what we promised we would cover. Um, Why don't you tell people how to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, you can, you can certainly find our, our agency level work um, at sgk.com. Uh, you can also find me personally on Instagram at avera1975, not giving away my age. Um, <laughs> because it's probably a lie um, anyway. <laughs> that's right. You never, you never know. This is whole, you know, like I come from a, I come from a long line of Hispanic baseball players. We have, we do not give away our age. <laughs> um, and you should check out that Instagram because there's rocket launches and all sorts. So anyone who's listening, check out the Instagram. It's worth it. <laughs> yeah. The, the um, the SGK Inc. Instagram, IDL Worldwide Instagram are two great channels as well to check out. Um, and you can you can always find me on on LinkedIn. Uh, full name is Alexis Vera. Probably the only male designer with two female first names as a full name. So <laughs> relatively easy to find there. <laughs> too humble. It's been really fab to have you on. Thanks, Alex. And I would drop all of that into the show notes as well when we pop the podcast up. And have an amazing silly season. If I don't, well, I probably will speak to you at yeah. some point before then. But have an amazing silly season. And maybe we'll have you back on. I'd love to have you back on in the new year to talk meta. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Apes.